Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. everyone and welcome to episode 337 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host Brad Roland. It is Sunday, February the 20th and I am joined as often by Eric Cole. Hello sir, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh with Jawan Howard basically trying to take on the uh, the, <laughs> oh. the, the bad the Badgers coaching staff this evening. I was I was thinking of you uh, as I often do. Right so, out of the gate. Uh, that's uh, uh, that's mean spirited. But thank you. Uh yeah, tough times uh, tough times for Michigan basketball today. Let's let's not do that today on the show. But um that was not a lot of fun on Sunday. I'm, I'm sure I won't bring it up again. No, I'm sure you will. That's okay. Um, also, while we're while we're, we're talking about things that are kind of uh, not great, um, the Pakota projections came out, and our friend Sean Coleman spent, I believe, most of the Daily Hammer yesterday on blasting the Pakota projections. So I'm not going to do too much on he, that. Uh, yeah, Sean hard. And by the way, that's that's available on our podcast feed, and I, it's a good time to go ahead and plug that show, which is the Daily Hammer, hosted by Sean. Also, there's this podcast called the Road to Atlanta podcast, which I believe you are involved with. Eric. Yeah, yep. Uh, I, I've, it has existed from time to time. Uh, I did have an episode last week. Uh, there is going to be an episode this week as well. There and, you go. Uh, with uh, spoilers, depending on scheduling, we might be having a special guest, depending on if they get back to me quickly. Otherwise, it'll be a regular, regular episode, and we'll be doing that special guest at a different date. But well, you know, well there you, you go. Might, you might you might want to listen to this week, so I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. If you are new to the podcast, uh, we have three shows. This one that you're listening to now, which usually involves me and uh, basically almost always involves either Eric or Scott Coleman. And then you get into Daily Hammer and Road to Atlanta. We have three, three, three shows, I should say, for the price of $0. And uh, hopefully you enjoy all of them, but please subscribe to the podcast. I, I just, I guess one thought, I'll let you tee off on Pagoda if you want to. But the funniest thing about the Pagoda projections was not the Braves projection to me, because you know, it is what it is. They hate the Braves. Um, and by they, I mean the, the system. Uh, Craig Goldstein does not hate the Braves individually. I promise you, Craig is a good guy. Um, but the funniest part about those projections, in my opinion, was that the Phillies were projected for 86 and a half wins. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I am pretty famously not a fan of Pocota projections. I think that they've, <laughs> they've, 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 they've uh, historically, I think, overvalued certain teams and like for example, like the Mets projection last year was just laughably bad, right? Like no one should like. I, I wouldn't even. I don't necessarily have a problem with like. Let's say for example, the Mets being favored last year, but like they were favored, like they were like the second best team behind the Dodgers, and like I just like I and it was a crazy number of wins. Obviously, you know it's hard to factor in the you know the Mets Metsing things up, but at the same the time, like you know, I, I just I think that they overvalue some things and they undervalue others, and it's kind of one of those black box type 
projection systems that I'm just, I'm not a fan of. And there's always like two or three projections in Pakoda where I'm just like, what in God's, I like, what, how could you plug in what that roster looks like and get that number? And, <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, it's, and it's not just the Mets or it's not just the Braves. Um, but that being said, like, no one should be like weirded out that the Braves are like projected to be third in the division right now. They don't the, have the, a first baseman. The, 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 and it's an, it's a pretty important first baseman too, right? Like it's a guy who's a four or five win player and he's not under contract. And the way these projection systems work is that it's only people who are actually on the roster. So if the guys are on free agents, even if you're a hundred percent sold that Freddie Freeman is coming back to be with the Braves spoilers, you should not be hundred percent sold that he's going to return to the Braves. That's not how those, how these projection systems work. So, I mean, like all of them are going to look a little wonky for the Braves because right now they do not have a first baseman. They haven't filled outfield spots beyond, you know, I mean, Adam Duvall, Ronald Cooney Jr., depending on which system you look at, may or may not be getting as many games as others. And then you have like Christian Pache and Adam Duvall. Those aren't necessarily, you know, awe-inspiring offensive numbers. So I could see a lot of projection systems like struggling to put them, you know, in first place or with a, a pretty sizable win total. But they sign Freddie Freeman and maybe they, they add another outfielder and they add a piece or two here and there and their projections – Changed pretty dramatically so i don't think anyone in this particular case with the with the lockout and everything you know they just can't make any moves and so the projection systems are just going off what they have so yes. i don't think anyone should be too i don't think anyone should be too hot and bothered one way or the other even though yeah, i don't that, like Dakota. yeah that's why i was like you know I, I get the uh the jokes and please go feel feel free to make fun of the projections that are sometimes wrong um but this one's kind of uh, not really important Okay, with that out of the way, if you want more of that, again, listen to listen to Sean from. Uh, oh yeah, Sean went in. Uh, he did, which was entertaining, and that's I recommend that. Okay, um, <laughs> from there, obviously the lockout continues. There was some news on that front this week. The uh, I guess the headliner is the, I guess the final official note at the moment that was a uh, not very well kept secret. I wish to say, spring training is not going to begin until at least March fifth, and that probably seems early, but that's obviously the uh, earliest that they could possibly be. When we last recorded with Scott and I last week. Uh, Manfred had done the dance of not saying that it was going to be delayed, even though everyone in the world knew it was going to be delayed. And they finally did it this week. Um, It it was announced. They had a 15-minute negotiating session on Thursday in which uh, Evan Drellich of the Athletic reported that February 28th is now kind of the drop-dead date on the owner's side. They told the Player Association they had to find an agreement by then to have the season start on time. That's been kind of what we have thought and talked about. Like, end of this month, early March would be, like, the logical time because – you can't just start playing baseball the next day. You have to have some sort of spring training. You have to have some transactions as free agents are still hanging in the wind. But those are the sort of the two headliners, Eric. Uh, I guess we can stop now to ask you how you're feeling about this because I know Scott and I talked about it last week, but um, I, I'm not feeling great about it. But how are you feeling about this? Um, I don't think that either side benefits from kind of scheduling these day-to-day talks like this, like the, what's going to be going on this week is supposed, they're supposed to be meeting every day. I don't think that going into that and doing that makes much sense unless there's a way to get a deal done, if that makes any sense. Um, now, whether or not they actually get one done, that like the, some of the gaps that, the, that exist are pretty sizable, but <laughs> I mean, after some initial player movement on some positions, the owners just decided to basically not give offers anymore. They would just basically like buy time. They would ask for a federal mediator and then they would submit the same offer that they had submitted like three weeks ago. So 
I, this week will determine quite a bit. If the owners actually start moving on some positions, particularly like the, that bonus pool that would be divided between pre-R players uh, that perform well, if they're if they don't move off ten million dollars for that, then that, that's going to be a non-starter. Uh, I think that there's like a, a middle ground that can be found for like you know what the super two status stuff's going to be, uh, but it just seems like the the owner the owner's position is nothing's going to change and we're not going to do it and that's not going to work. The players are going to have to get some concessions from ownership on service time and service time manipulation, and the owners just seem to be the only idea they came up with was give teams an extra draft pick if they bring up a top prospect which is just rewarding teams more it's not it's right. not rewarding it's it's not it's not a tangible reward beyond you know a very few select players that would maybe get you know be able to accrue an extra year of service time so i it's almost like they want a concession for that concession and they ha- there has to be some sort of solution or at least some moves towards a you know dealing with service time manipulation and if they don't have those things on the table then i'm not sure what we're talking about and if they're not willing to move again it seems like what the owners have done have made a list of things that they're just refusing to do as opposed to actually put forth real for like real solutions and you know they're not going to show their books they're not going to change anything about service time they're not willing to pay any more than this and the players are like if that's your position then these aren't negotiations uh, and you're not negotiating in good faith which is absolutely correct so um (laughs) yeah so um, you know, in terms of like, like luxury tax thresholds and stuff like that, I don't have a hot take as to kind of what the right number is. I think that there's just going to have to be some adjustments upward. Um, you know, cause right now it's being used as a de facto luxury, uh, salary cap with a couple of notable exceptions every once in a while, uh, and certainly exceeding it beyond a certain percentage just doesn't happen. Um, it's, it, you know, the, the, the running joke is that the baseball is the only sport that doesn't have a salary cap, but that mean in practice, that's, it's not really that true. Yeah. I so, mean, um, there's, yeah. there's stuff to get into. I mean, we could, the rabbit holes that are here are plentiful. If we wanted to follow them down, like they didn't really talk about anything else this week that was new, like none of the threshold stuff, minimum salary stuff, revenue sharing stuff, service time stuff, expanded playoffs. None of that came up in the very, very short meeting on Thursday. Um, There was a report that the players may not give them expanded playoffs unless they get a whole, a full season, which I don't blame them for. I don't know how serious that is or if that's actually the position, but that was reported this week. And you know how I feel about this. I'm very anti expanded playoffs anyway. Um, But uh, that is a clear chip. The players do have in this is that it's been so transparent this whole time that the owners, if they want to change anything, they want to change expanded playoffs. It's very obvious. And if the players are just like, nope, not doing it unless they have the full season that might get them to the table. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but if you're an optimist, if you want to see baseball happening in the next six weeks, that's one way to do it. Perhaps. I don't know how much it'll work, but at least they're trying something. It seems. So I don't know. This is the impression that I got because there was reporting too that they basically the they were given the proposal, and the reason the, the meeting was so short is that it's like you know it's like hundred and whatever pages, and that they want to take that back to membership, yeah, to be able to go through go over right, like you know like hashing it out right then and there wasn't going to make much sense because there's a lot of in, input that they wanted to get before they did that, and I like I'm not on that guy is like you know after 15 minutes, they like stormed out of the room. I don't think that's necessarily what happened. Yeah. The, the short meeting thing is more, uh, it's actually not that big of a deal because of what you've said, to be honest. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I it was reported that the two lead negotiators, uh, Bruce Meyer and I forget the league side, they had a 20-minute talk with just the two of them immediately after uh, that, that, like that, that quote-unquote 15-minute meeting. And the, the word that was described between those two, that conversation was candid. And I think what happened was that was Bruce Meyer saying, look, if you think that you're going to get expanded playoffs if this costs the players games and more specifically game checks, then you've lost your mind. You know, and I, I think that this, I think that the players are pretty united that they're going to have to get some concessions. And look, it's part of the problem is that Tony Clark is pretty famously not great at his job. And the last couple CBAs have gone exceedingly poorly for players. So they're, they're going to have to win some ground back, even if they're not going to win all the ground back. Maybe it's not going to be the ground that you and I want back. I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not big on the expanded playoffs. You know, I don't think, I don't, I don't think, the, I don't even think the extra wild card team being in has been a particularly positive development. You know, those, those one game playoff games, I'm sure those are, everyone feels great about the outcomes coming out of those. So, you know, that's not really what, where I would be drawing the line, but at the same time, I know the owners want it and the players know that the owners want it and it's a big deal and a lot of money. So I think that that's the best chip that they had to play right now is that, you know, if you really want this to happen, we're going to have to get a deal done soon. And that means you're going to have to start making some concessions because otherwise it's just not going to happen period. And that may be the, the type of leverage that the players need to kind of get the owners moving. Cause quite to be quite frank, the owners haven't moved really much at all. No. And you know, the, the PA when baseball announced the spring training delay officially, the PA statement was, uh, direct, let's just say, and they said, you know, there was some wording in that statement that they said that, that baseball said that they, that they quote unquote must uh, suspend spring training. And the players were like, no, you, that's not, that's not the case. We'll, we'll show up and play right now, basically. And the lockout is uh, on, yep. on the other side, which is of course the original uh, debate of this whole thing. But uh, you know, we'll leave it there for now. We'll see if there's any movement this week. It's going to be a big uh, week. Plus I will, I will say, you know, they've been reporting, like you said earlier, that they're going to start meeting if not every day, close to it, maybe multiple times in a certain day. And there is urgency picking up now, but at the same time, uh, they got some work to do. That's for sure. I do have one kind of minor league adjacent question for you because you're here and this is uh, what you do. Um, people were asking, I saw some people asking um, Talking Chop and also you, and I know you have talked about Road to Atlanta as well, but uh, there's the whole like development storyline and like how much miss spring training slash games will impact the young players on 40-man rosters. And I'll let you explain how this works, but basically the guys in the 40-man are treated as major leaguers, so they cannot go to spring training, whereas minor league guys can. And just some notable names here for the Braves, they're young guys, they're still developing, they're on the 40-man. You have Christian Pache, you have Drew Waters, you have Contreras, you have Spencer Strider. There are a couple more uh, who could obviously benefit from some time right now on the field and they can't do anything. And I want to know what you think about the impact that has on those guys. Uh, the, the short answer to your question is it depends entirely on how long this drags out, right? Because you can add Kyle Muller to that list as an example. You know, Freddie Tarnock is a, a guy who's probably not going to be, you know, in the major leagues, but you want him to at least be getting stretched back out to be other prospect that you want him to be. William Woods is another guy. Um, so minor league spring training begins March 4th. I've had that confirmed from multiple people that they're being asked to report on March 4th. There are already players down in Florida right now getting like kind of that extra work in, but March 4th is kind of when minor league spring training cranks up. So if you think about it from that perspective is that every day 
from March 4th on that those players are cannot take the field is a player is a day that they cannot kind of get all their workouts in, get their bullpens in, get their time in the cage in with coaches, all that stuff. And they can't do that and kind of get in preparation for the season. Now, when you combine that with what could best be described as a really weird 2020 season uh, where some guys just didn't get to play at all. Uh, there was, or a lack of playing time at the alternate side, a completely different situation that really can, especially if it's a protracted length of time, could impact a lot of these guys. We saw that Pache and Waters didn't look particularly good last year. Uh, William Contreras had moments and he would look better in the minor leagues than he did in the major leagues. You know, those at bats and that time with coaches and to kind of see where their development is and kind of get their, you know, figure out exactly where they're at. That's important time. Now, if it's just a few days, that's not a big deal, but if it's, you know, something that starts dragging on into the weeks of minor league spring training, and then the minor league season starts up. The, the one thing that's absolutely true is that the minor league season is going to start right on time. And you're going to have all these guys, especially at the beginning of the year, they're all the, they're not going to be able to participate in those team workouts in the same way. Uh, they might have to just get dropped right in at the very end of team workouts, or they, even if it drags up even longer than that. And this kind of gets into a entirely separate problem of what if it starts impacting like regular season games for the major leagues and starts impacting the actual games in the minor leagues, then you have an entire, you know, basically at least five, if not more, guys that are in the top 10 Braves prospects that are not going to be able to start the season. Yep. That's not, that's just not, that's not good. I mean, it, and again, that's kind of a worst case scenario, but it kind of speaks to the, the fundamental problem. And that's really kind of the only impact on the minor leagues. Cause the minor leagues, the minor leagues are going to keep cooking along, but I, I'll tell you this, uh, I'm not going to be particularly excited to watch the Gwinnett stripers. If <laughs> this thing drags on and all of a sudden all those guys are going to be missing. Cause that thing's going to be pretty brutal without, you know, basically half the rotation and, you know, a, a third of their lineup. Yeah, I will let you uh, talk about that in more detail on Road to Atlanta and also in written form. But I wanted to at least throw that out there because, A, you're, a, you're here and also it's, it's a real thing, particularly with guys that uh, you would – that are probably the most famous, some of the most famous guys that people actually know, like Pache and Waters in particular are the guys that people know, and they won't be able to play baseball and, until this gets resolved anywhere. Even if they would have been in the minors start the season, they can't go to the minors now because they're on the 40 minute. That's, that's an important detail that people have to understand because, you know, I, I, don't, think, I don't think Waters is going to start the season on the team in, in Atlanta, but it, that doesn't matter. As long as he's on the 40 man, he cannot play in the minors. So yep. uh, we could talk about Kyle McDaniel's rankings too, but I'll, I'll, say, I'll let you say that for Road to Atlanta. I was, I was kind of surprised by that, just for the record. Uh, a little low, but they're probably a bottom third team. So you know, I was going to ask yeah, you because, like, you know, I'll let you guys do like, the deep dive, but like, I, it was kind of a reminder to me as someone who does not follow the minor leagues very well. Just for the record, McDaniel had the Braves number 27 in his org prospect rankings. And uh, it's been a long time, Eric, since the Braves were that low in prospect rankings. Uh, I'm not like that surprised because obviously they just won the World Series and, you know, they're not as deep as they used to be, et cetera. And guys have come up and graduated, but that was still like, whoa, 27 is low. Yeah, that, it, it, it felt a bit low. But I mean, if you're if you're low, if you're like particularly low on Pache and Waters, especially a lot of those lists, like they, they're driven by position player talent and like. Shay Langoliers and Michael Harris can only get you so far, especially especially if you're also lower on those guys. You know what I mean? Like I can I can see I can see a justification for putting them that low. I don't think they are that low, but they're probably bottom third right now. 
And, you know, after that, it kind of depends on how these international guys develop and, you know, just take some time and see how this next, let's see how this draft goes too. I mean, the Braves have just drafted pretty pitcher heavy and that's not something that's uh, necessarily loved by, you know, team organizational prospect rankings unless you have like guys who are throwing 103 yeah who are already there and seeing this uh, high-end guys yeah Yeah. it's it's not it's not exact science for sure but i want to at least throw it out there and uh i do love kylie though oh no he's great and that's the thing i'm not i am not picking on kylie daniel who is good at his job uh i just thought it was notable and more so as a reminder to casual minor league observers like myself that this is not the uh, the days where the Braves were in the top fives of those prospect rankings. They've uh, they've well, fallen off a little the, bit. The, the, the players that they were that were that made them top five are now playing in the major leagues, and, that, and that's an important thing to point out. And, and also, and, they, and they, just, uh, they just brought they just brought down a big home trophy. So I, yeah, I, they're just everything's fine. No, <laughs> no, 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 no one stress. should care about this necessarily. I just thought no. it was a, a good reminder. Anyway, okay. Before we get to what our uh, main agenda item is on this podcast, which is if you're listening to this, you probably already saw, is the uh, breakdown of the infield and how things are looking for the Braves around the infield right now. It worked from our sponsors on the podcast. We'll be right back with uh, all of that talk about catcher, first base, middle infield, et cetera. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Eric. Let us dive into the infield. And if, if you miss these podcasts, we, we did one on the bullpen. We did one on the outfield, et cetera. They're on the feed. It's kind of a hybrid review slash preview because the season is obviously in limbo, but it's a good time to talk about the guys who are still on the roster and the positions. Um, one of the spots that's pretty well set up is catcher, um, where they have Travis Tarno and Manny Pena. Um, that's going to be their one-two punch unless something happens with injury. Uh, Darno was not fantastic last season, um, but is a career solid, you know, starting level player. Uh, also a good defender. You have Pena is a little bit older. He'll be 35 pretty soon, but also a guy who is, I would say a high end backup to low end starter kind of type. And then even beyond that, they have the two uh, prospects and Langoliers and Contreras. If, if things get weird, Contreras on the 40 minute roster, Shea is not. Um, but I guess the number one question for me, and I'll, I'll ask it to you is what do you expect from Darno? Because, you know, 2020, he was unbelievably good to the point where we kind of knew it was not going to sustain. But then last year, he really kind of cratered, then got hurt and wasn't fantastic. So where's your head at with Darno right now? Well, I mean, for starters, I think I don't feel like the Braves have the most confidence in him uh, because you don't sign like a guy like Pena, who's like, if you're going to talk about a backup catcher, that's he's a a relatively like high level uh, catcher, I guess, to have in that position. Um, Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like how they used to have two starting level quality guys when they had like what, what the, the flowers the, the was around Suzuki, the, yeah the flowers suzuki era yeah yeah, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of like that i mean and the braves have had good catching for a long time now but this is not your like to your point this is not like treating darno as if he's going to start 75 percent of the time like you don't bring in pina if you are playing to play darno 120 games that's, that's not going to happen so we'll see yeah i mean and yeah he in the regular season he wasn't good. Darno had his moments in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, at least offensively. Uh, <laughs> at least offensively, and he made one throw to first base, which was important. Uh, the rest <laughs> of his throws, don't look at those. But um, you know, I 
he got he, the, the injury he sustained was was real. Father time is undefeated. He is not did not look nearly as good in 2020 as he looked in 2021 or in 2021 as opposed to 2020. So I, I think that the Braves are hedging a little bit because they have Contreras in the 40 man roster who they may not be quite sure about. Uh, he's just very young, and I'm I'm pretty big on catchers. Just I mean. The, the number of guys who are like standout rookie catchers who are amazing at everything that they do is very, very small. And, you know, giving him some time to continue to work on, you know, just, you know, bl- blocking pitches, getting used to having that one knee in the dirt, calling games with this particular pitching staff, understanding what his role is on the team, and also being able to just kind of work out things at the plate. And then you also have a guy in Shea Langliers who's going to be right there too, because they have those two guys, one of which is a 40-man guy that, you know, you're not upset if William Contreras is your backup catcher, but maybe you want to give him more time at the at the, at the the minor league level at the plate before you kind of put him in any sort of role. But when you have those two quality guys really close to the, the major leagues and you add Pena, doesn't make me think that the Braves are like, Travis Darno is going to be a guy that we're going to be able to start a whole bunch. I think they really like him on the roster, as they should. I think the pitching staff loves him. I think he does a good job kind of managing – like kind of that that leadership role in terms of the battery, but I'm not certain that he's going to be able to produce on either side of the ball reliably. I mean, like the, the, his throws were – he was a liability in terms of the running game. And a lot of times he was a liability at the plate. So at some point you have to wonder, you know, if he's just a coach. And if that's the case, maybe he doesn't play, play a whole lot, especially if he doesn't perform produce early on in the season because there's just the Braves have the one place in the infield they have a lot of options in terms of their youth is catcher so at that at that you know so the the Braves are hedging a little bit and having a guy like Pena who can be a steady you know veteran presence you can put him in there and let's say Darno just can't maybe he's just done it could happen Uh, you wouldn't be necessarily upset to have like a Pena Contreras battery you know no not at all I think that, you know, Fangraphs, just their depth chart projections have the Braves number 14 in baseball at catcher coming into the season. Um, that seems reasonable to me. I'd probably even be a little bit higher given uh, just the presence of two quality options, because as we say, uh, ad nauseum on this podcast, catcher is really, really bad across baseball, particularly backup catchers. Teams, teams that have number ones um, obviously are in good shape, but I would say uh, looking at the list that I have in front of me right now of catcher catchers in the league, uh, I would imagine Manny Pena is the best quote unquote backup catcher in Major League Baseball right now. I mean, he's on the older side, but I don't think anybody else has a better number two guy than Manny Pena in terms of right now today than the Braves do. Um, and the Bra- and the Braves are really good about stitching stitching together for the most part. Oh, they've uh, been great at it for a la- long time. La- la- last year was a bit of an anomaly. We saw some. It uh, got ugly, but uh, the, yeah, well, the, and that's the, the thing. The, the, we, we missed the Travis the Jeff Mathis era. That's for sure. Well, and that's the thing about like they they invested not huge money, but real money in Darno, And they saw what happened when he got hurt last year. And I think maybe yeah. that's that, that's what pushes you into signing a guy like Manny Pena, who is probably too good for the role, to be honest with you. But at the same time, he is older. And, that way, and because of that, he's probably cool with not playing a ton. And coming into the year, I would probably project like a 60-40 split between these two guys in terms of playing time. And that's before you get into Contreras, if you wanted to go there, or if, you know, if something crazy happens, you go to Langoliers. They have good depth, and they don't have a great number one catcher on paper, but we also saw Darno be awesome just a year and a half ago. So it's possible that he's just great again. We'll see. Maybe. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm okay the, with that. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah the, in, the injury was real to Darno, and he's just getting older. So there's, yeah, uh, I mean, it's fine. I, 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 I love the Braves hedging. It's, it's, it was a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Totally. It's a good, it's a good value as well. Um, <laughs> this is very different. Uh, but we'll go to first base now, which is, we all, we all know the story here. We're yes. not going to, we're not going to do the yes. entire thing. I promise you this on this podcast, we're not going to do the entire Freeman thing again. He's still a free agent. We talked about uh, him at, at nauseum with me and Scott two weeks ago with Matt Olson, all that stuff. Um, let's just say that he's projected as like a four or five win player by all the systems. Um, he's going to be really good again, long-term you can get into that whole discussion about his contract length, but at least for next season, Freddie Freeman is awesome. He's still awesome right now. And at the moment, they just have absolutely nothing at first base on the roster to the point where Fangraphs has the Braves at this moment, number 29 in baseball out of 30 at first base. Uh, Eric, Who, who's below them? That, the the Pirates. That doesn't actually. The Pirates. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's and okay, here, yeah, here, are the, here are the players that are projected to get first base uh, plate appearances by Fangraphs. And this is not me making fun of Fangraphs. This is just because they don't have anybody to put there. Uh, Orlando Arcia. Yep, has about yep. half of the plate appearances at first base for the Braves in this projection. Uh, John Nagowski is number two on the list. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So uh, because he's a first baseman, they don't have a first baseman. He's he's a first baseman. Yep, so, yep, yep. R- uh, roll five, roll five pickup. Yep. Yes, there you game. go. Yep, yep, yep. yep uh, okay. Travis Darno, who yeah, uh, that's he's number three on the list. I uh, just go ahead and I'm I'm going to just. Go ahead and just say that I will be cackling, <laughs> laughing if Travis Darno has a single plate appearance as a first baseman. It would be, it would, it would definitely require some creativity. And then uh, number four on this list with forty two plate appearances projected is Adam Duvall. So uh, that tells you how bad it is at first base. We all know this. Uh, the only way on the roster right now that the Braves could have a decent first base, first base situation is if they moved Austin Rowe to first base. Yep. And if they did that they'd have a gaping hole at third base. <laughs> so there's doesn't really fix anything. Um, we know the deal here. Uh, I have nothing else to add. Freddie Freeman is very important to this team. If they don't sign him, they have to figure out a plan at first base because there, there are no internal options. I'm not, I'm, I'm not being funny here. There is nothing internally that they could do at first base. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> first base is generally, unless you kind of run into a guy, either you sign him in first free agency or you have a big bat that like just places like can't play the outfield or like you know grows out of third base or something like that's generally how first base you don't generally draft them well, and there's also happens. just no like you and, know and this better way, than Frank, i do Frank, go ahead well i'm about to say also there's the bigger problem that freddie freeman is literally the best first baseman in baseball right so yes. i mean replacing him is just a tall order period uh even even without like what internal option what you have a a prospect at AAA that you're going to replace freddie freeman with just, well that's what i was gonna to, say they, honestly is like they're they're even if you know practically speaking it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense but you know sometimes a guy just blows up the minors and becomes a real prospect the braves definitively unless unless i'm wrong here you, you can correct me the braves do not have a first don't have a major league ready first baseman in the minors no 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 no, no <laughs> so uh no that guy's not coming uh, even, uh, even if that was that uh, regardless that wouldn't be a great option let's be clear about that but even if they had a guy who was 22 years old and a big time prospect uh you wouldn't want to roll with that guy necessarily anyway. And that guy doesn't exist. So um, yeah, we can leave it there, but first base is a wasteland. We'll address it when we need to, but Freddie is the only guy uh, that I can see that will fill that role. Um, if they don't have Freddie, they can go down the list, whether it be Matt Olson, Anthony Rizzo, something else uh, who knows, but that's all I got, Eric. First base is what it is. Yep. 
Uh, and I that I I'm I will go ahead and assure our listeners is that there will be a first baseman for the Atlanta Braves. I imagine you know I'm still kind of leaning towards Freddie coming back, but me too. A, a high I, a high profile bat will be a first baseman for the Atlanta Braves. I feel reasonably confident about that. Like, they got to do they got to do something. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. From there, we get to a much more stable and awesome situation, and that is second base, where Ozzy Albies is a star level player. He'll be 25 this season. Love my love him. Uh, it's kind of funny because it felt like in the moment to some people anyway, that it was kind of a disappointment for Ozzy to some level last year, but he was a four win player <laughs> who was a 107 WRC plus. He was awesome. Uh, yet again, last year, uh, both zips and steamer have him as the number one second baseman in baseball um, for this coming season. Um, in terms of the depth chart, the Braves are seen as number three in baseball, but that's because of his backup, not because of him. Um, he is obviously an elite player at second base. I don't have much else to add. You know, Ozzy is kind of what he, I don't think there's ever going to be a scenario where I tell you that Ozzy is going to be like an A plus hitter, but he's so good at everything else that just having the power that he does and the speed that he does, he's a four or five win player. And I think if he all, if he puts it together for one full season, he could be a seven win player and it wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't project that, but I said it before, like he's a star and that's given his age and, Obviously, the contract is what it is, too, but you can't possibly be in a better situation than the Braves are at second base, basically. Uh, I mean, if only he could play shortstop, Brad. You know what he, I mean? You know uh, what by the way, by the way, <laughs> by the way, he can, sir. He can. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second because Dansby's a free agent. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. He's a free agent the, the, the season. The dream lives. The dream lives. The dream lives. Uh, so uh, the short answer is obviously Ozzy's great. The one thing that is pretty maddening about him is that he's really a streaky hitter. Uh, like, there'll be a month. And he cannot get him out. (laughs) He can't walk. Yeah, he doesn't walk. He doesn't. He was he's gotten a little better. But I mean, I guess a little bit. Yeah. 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 But here's the thing. Like Like, two years. If you you want to nitpick Ozzy, you would say the last two seasons and granted 2020, he was hurt for half the season. Um, But his OBP is like 308 in the last like 800 plate appearances. That's not what you want for someone like him um, with, with his speed. But his power is I mean, I can't believe still that he has this much power. I mean, it still blows me away to this day. He he, he had 30 home runs. Small, strong boy. He had 30 home runs. 30 home runs last season. He also had 40 doubles. People people for people sleep on Ozzy sometimes. Now he again he'll of those 30 home runs, like 15 of them will come in like a five week span. Oh yeah, he's very hot and cold, no question. But but when he's hot, he just carries an offense. So uh, I I love Ozzy for a second baseman. You can't really ask for a whole lot more if we're just being honest about it. He's great. It's you know, just in terms of like what that profile is along base around baseball, there's the number of guys who have been better than him. Like what is Altuve? Yeah, I mean there there are guys that are projected in the same range as him, like Marcus Simeon if he's played second base yeah, for Texas. I, I, yeah, um, I do like Simeon. Altuve is really good. Uh, and obviously, a former MVP. But that's kind of it. Like you can get into like maybe like Cattell Marte is maybe on that level, something close. But even if you were trying to be as pessimistic as possible about Ozzy, he'd be. You could say he's a top five second baseman in the league. I think he's number one, to be honest. Um, yeah, he's very, very, very good. Does a lot of things well. His upside. Is, I mean, if he put together, I mean, like, like he, he wasn't a particularly great hitter last year, and he still put together a four. Like he could put together like an insane year just yeah. by being like imagine Ozzy with a 120 WRC plus, which by the way, isn't like a crazy WRC Well, 20, 2019 in 2019, he had a 116 WRC plus. That was his best year of his career uh, overall at the plate. Um, and he was worth, you know, upwards of five wins. 
I think he honestly could have a six or seven one season in him at some point. And yep. given his age, it could be this coming year. Again, I would not project that, but essentially every projection system that you can find from steamer to zips or whatever you want to look at has him as a four to five win player. That's what he is. Um, does, could, could he have a bad year? Sure. He could. But again, last year was kind of a mild disappointment for some, for some of the season. And then you ha- then he had a couple hot streaks and you look up at the end of the season, it's 107 WRC plus and 4.2 fan rest four. Like he's just really good. <laughs> he's, yep. what he, he's, he's just good. He's just yep. very, very good. Um, all right. That's enough of that. By the way, uh, we'll sort of look these guys in together because it's middle, it's middle infield. We'll say, but shortstop is also very clear. Uh, not a star, but Dansby Swanson will be 28 this season. And like I said before, he'll be a free agent after the season, which is very, very interesting, but he did have the best season of his career last season uh, pretty clearly uh, in terms of like the overall impact, the power, et cetera. Um, he was actually better in 2020 in terms of a small sample size, but overall last year, he still ended up with about a 98 WRC plus, which is fine, but he had 27 home runs, but he followed it up with a 311 on base. It was actually kind of similar to Ozzy's line in some respects, but even worse. Uh, and then, and then defensively he's solid to good. He's not elite, but he's a good, he's a good defender. And essentially, by everything that, that I look at, both individually and the team projections, he's about as average as it could possibly be for a starting shortstop. And that's, that's not a knock on him, but in terms of like full-time starter at shortstop, he's right in the middle of the pack. That's just what he is, right? At least right now. I mean, and, and by the way, I mentioned it, he'll be 28. He's not like super young anymore. Brad, I have a question for you. Uh-oh. Would you extend Dansby Swanson? And if so, what is the maximum extension you give him? Well, I was going to say, I mean, my, my, my answer to the question, the first question is how much for how much money? Because I think that the Braves can be totally fine with Dansby Swanson as their shortstop. They obviously won the World Series last year with him as their shortstop. But I think with all of what I just said, he is a extremely adequate starting shortstop who is fairly durable, he plays a lot. He plays well. Um, he's uninspiring in some respects, but he's pretty good. Now, extension-wise, I wouldn't want to go super long with him just because of his age. He's not super young, not super old. But I don't know. Given what he's like, his actual value is in terms of what he's produced recently, I'm looking right now to see what the Fangraphs value was on him last season. Uh, the, the number the number I was going to give, I'd give you an over-under on or like – like how bad it would be if he needs if to sign him back you need to give him four years and 60 million i think i would do that i wouldn't think be would? i wouldn't be extremely excited about doing that but i think if it came down to it i would probably do that um so last year Fangraphs, uh and this is not exact by any means but this is their uh estimate of war and then dollars earned etc they have him as being worth 25.4 million last year and that might, that's obviously, I think it's a little high to be honest with you, but um, the fact that he was able to return that, which is, you know, he was a free win player last year, which is exactly a pretty valuable player. He was able to do that while being only average at the plate. And that gives you some safety. Now there's not a whole lot of plus value to a deal like that. Four for 60 for, for Swanson. But I think that your downside is relatively low as well, because, you know, the last Three, we'll call it three seasons. He has been a league average shortstop. Even four years ago, 2018, he had a bad year at the plate, 
and still was worth almost two wins in 136 games. Like, and that was, that was a bad outcome for him. So I I think that if the Braves gave him that deal, people would be very upset that are not, not, not Dansby fans. But I think that in terms of the real money that gets thrown around in baseball these days, you're basically locking up his prime at that point through the age of like 32. That is fine. Is that, is that too much for you? Is that why you I, what the, I, what I, I, th- I think it's fine. I think it's uninspiring, especially since, <laughs> especially since shortstop typically is a premium offensive position. And the thing and he's, he's, and he's, he's okay. He's not bad. He's not good either. And we've seen him be real bad. Well, yeah, he has bad stretches too. He's kind of like Ozzy, but worse in almost every yeah, way. Yeah. Yes. Um, he's Ozzy. He's Ozzy light, except bigger. Yeah, and you know, in the short season of 2020, he had a 115 WRC plus, and like, and played every game. Like, he was really, really good two years ago. Like, he was a two win player in 60 games. That means you're on pace to be like a four and a half, five win player over that sample size. He's I'm, not I'm, that I'm, good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say there's no chance he would have played 160. Games I, I I agree, <laughs> but but he played 160 last year. Like, he's been uh, the last That's the true. last the last true. two seasons he's, he's missed two games. Uh, somehow stayed healthy. Somehow didn't bruise his foot and didn't miss a month and a half. Well, yeah. But even but even then, like okay, I understand. Even like anecdotally, I'm kind of with you. It feels like he's missed more time than he has. But dating back to when he became the guy in 2017, this is his games played: 144, 136, 127 in 2019, which is not great, but that's still like not disastrous. You missed 35 games. Uh, 2020, you played 60 games. That's the, that was the whole season, and then last year, 160. So like. Yeah, he's been yeah, pretty durable, fair. man. Like, yeah, that's it, fair. I'm kind of with you on this. Like, I'm surprised it's that high, but it, it the numbers are the numbers. Like, he's been out there. Um, so yeah, I think I'd be interested. I'd be interested to know if he would take that. To be honest, if I was his agent, I would definitely take that deal. I don't know if it's been offered. I don't know if it will be offered. I don't know if the Braves want to extend him. That's all kind of mysterious to me. He's just he's he's below that level of a guy that like they definitely would want to keep. Like, we'll get to Austin Riley in a second. I can be pretty confident after last season, the Braves would like to keep Austin Riley for a long time. Yep, um, yep. Dan, Dansby, I, I, I just don't know. Like, I think they probably view him the same way we do. It's like, all right, he's a pretty good starter. He's fine, but he's not one of their best five players. So, and generally shortstop is one of your best five. Well, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, I mean, goes back to what we're talking about the first base, not this bad, but they don't have any internal options either. So it's not like not uh, yet, not yet. Anyway, aside yet. from the Aussie joke that I obviously will make, um, if he were yeah, to leave, if he were to leave at the end of the season, they don't have a guy who is likely to be ready in 2023 to take over at shortstop in the in the organization. So it's different if they had some like hot prospect coming up behind him that was like like let's say Michael Harris was a shortstop. Like yeah, then it might be yeah, it might be real the, might, the, might be real interesting at that point, but it's not. Yeah, he's the, not the, the, yeah, there's some variables. I mean, like if Braden Shoemate like goes wild, or if Von Grissom goes wild, then like. Maybe but that's not like likely to happen. Yeah, no, no, it is not like. It's no. plausible, but this is not a situation where they have a top hundred guy in baseball that's going to be ready probably next year. So, I mean, this is a different question for another day that we could probably save for another time. But there's definitely a, like a yes, no. Do you think he'll be on the team in 2023? Question that I don't have the answer uh, to. <laughs> yeah, well, I I feel like we might have. This was the short shortstop class to try to do something fun if you were going to do it. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah, I mean, well, one of the one of the like, funny uh, like talk around kind of funny joke more than anything else kind of things is if Freddie were to leave, just throwing the entire bag at, at Carlos Correa and then trading Dansby. 
was like I mean, one of those like pie in the sky ideas. I don't, I don't think it's crazy that it would happen. Like no, that, maybe, but... yeah, I, I don't know if they'll, they'll, they'd throw that kind of money at Korea. Well, that's the I thing. Mean, like, yeah, yeah. Especially if you're not willing to pay Freddie, I don't know why you'd want to pay Korea, but uh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a separate thing. Uh, but then that said, if I would love to see making Carlos Correa making throws to first, whoever would playing there, because uh, that dude has that's like my favorite part of his game is that cannon of his arm he has. But yeah, uh, uh, like that, that that double play he turned in the the World Series, I still can't believe he put that much on that throw. But uh, yeah, uh, so the short answer is that I am very underwhelmed by Denzi Sponson, but I'm kind of with you is that there you better have a plan if you're getting rid of him because yeah. it's not like. You know, he, he is reasonable, but totally. I don't, we'll, we'll know more, I think, about what an extension would probably require based on his, what the arbitration situation with him, how that goes. Definitely. If, if, if there's a big gap, if there's a big gap in the asks where like he wants a whole bunch of money and the Braves don't want to give him a whole bunch, then that, that might just probably mean that they're going to move on because he probably overvalues himself a bit. Well, yes. And I, and I think also, even if you don't believe that he was worth quote unquote $25 million last year, the three previous seasons to that, he was in the 12 to 14 range. And one yeah, of those I mean, was a short I, season. Like he's a, he, he's like, a very like, useful player. And like, I'll tell you this right now, if he has a comparable season in 2022 to what he's had the last few years, he's going to get an eight figure per year contract from somebody. Oh God. I mean, that's $10 million. Yeah, that's, no, that's not, no, that's not, no. He's going to get more. I, I think he'll get more than that for somebody, to be honest. But I think at a minimum, he is going to sign for $10 plus million annually if he has a comparable season to last year. Well, I'm I, very I, confident. I, I'm not, I, I, I had trouble counting digits for a second there. Yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to get $100 million. Uh, like, yeah, I was really like, that's where my head went. I'm if like, he had, if he had a, bad. well, okay, I'll say this before we move on. If he has a season that he had in 2020, over a full season, he gets a hundred million dollars. And I, but I think he's gone. If that's the case, though, I agree. I but yeah. that's, <laughs> so this that's more of a hypothetical. But in terms of like just for this year that's coming up, they can be they can. There is some safety in Dansby. He's projected by most systems as like a two and a half win player. That's a solid starter. That's kind of what he is. And uh, there's some upside there. There's also some downside there. And um, you know, clearly. The, they couldn't move him before the start of the season. Like there were some questions that we were getting before the lockout about like, is he on the team this year? And I think maybe the lockout in, improves the odds of that because they just haven't done anything so for so long and it'd be tough to move him now, but we'll see. Uh, he's solid. We'll probably leave it there behind them, by the way, in middle infield, it's Orlando Garcia is the only guy they have brought back so far, you know, the 27 year old utility guy making very little money, but he's on a major league contract two year deal. Um, a career 70 WRC plus, and it was 48 with the Braves last season in a small sample size. He cannot hit. And I've said this for a long, long time. Um, he was a former top prospect. I get that. He has never hit at any level. And uh, he's just a guy. He's, he's He gives them depth. He can play third. He can play shortstop. He can play second base. You need a guy like that. He's just not terribly inspiring. So where if you get an injury to Dansby or Ozzy for a month, you are not overwhelmed with depth. Well, yeah, and, you know, bench depth in general is going to be kind of a interesting roster decision because the one thing that we do seem to know from the CBA negotiations is that the universal DH is coming back. So you don't have to necessarily have guys who are, like, particularly good pinch hitters on your roster. It's just injury uh, so stuff. You, yeah. Yeah, just, 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 just like, 
have your backup catcher, a backup outfielder in case someone gets hurt, a backup utility guy, which uh, is Johan which Camargo. is probably Arcia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and Johan Camargo is still around too. Stop! Yes, stop! Nope! 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 <laughs> not. I can't allow it. Nope. I, I, absolutely not. I I, per, I personally do not want either of them back because I am not obviously not a fan of Johan Camargo. I don't think these. Absolutely not, Eric. And, nope. I won't and, even do it. I, on the podcast, we'll do it. We'll allow it. And, and I and I don't <laughs> want Arcia back because. He's already back. If you think that if you think him. that Brad if you think that Brad and I don't like Johan Camargo, you should listen to Chris Willis talk about Orlando Garcia because if his name comes up, he just gets tilted. Uh, he's right there in the same camp with Lane Adams. Uh, basically, if Brave Twitter likes likes him as like a a a, a bench call up, then Chris hates him. Wait, so, didn't uh, hold on? Didn't didn't Camargo sign with the Phillies? I think he did. That that, that happened. He what, signed with the what, Phillies. Did he? Camargo signed with the Phillies Camargo? in December. Yeah, that happened. See, I thought they, I thought they tendered him a contract. I might, miss, I might miss that. Okay, never mind. Uh, so you're, you're, you're. My outrage is correct. Yeah, I looked it up. Okay. Yeah, he's out. He's out with the Phillies like, like the day before the lockout. So we're good. We're safe. Okay, okay. We're safe on that. I'm good. On, I'm, I'm good on. Listen, it's not, it's not personal, Johan. You're just not very good at baseball. Um, true, true. But yeah, I'm, I'm on Chris's side about Arcia. I think Arcia is bad, and I was getting, yeah. getting yeah. filleted for it in the playoffs. That like some, some people just seem to like him more than I do, which I understand. But like. Not to rehash old wounds, but he was like their number one pitch hitter for a while in the playoffs for some reason. I don't know why that happened, um, but he's just never hit everywhere. I mean, I'm not, it's not just me editorializing. He's never hit. <laughs> he just doesn't hit. Nope. Where. Yeah. Uh, nope. he so he's a fine defender. He can, there, there's value in that. And honestly, even if he's your last guy on the bench, it's totally fine. But uh, they, to your point, by the way, you know, even if they sign Freddie, they're going to have to sign another guy or two on the bench in terms of guys who can play infield spots. Um, you want to have more than one on the roster. Usually they can play an infield spot. Yeah, to your point yeah. earlier, the DH does cover up some of that stuff, but I will be surprised if they don't sign somebody else that can play, they can play the infield before the uh, calendar turns, but alas. Okay. We'll end, we'll end on a higher note. I did it on purpose because Austin Riley was awesome last season. Uh, he was a top three offensive player in the league at third base last season by the numbers uh, alongside uh, Jose Ramirez and Rafael Devers. He was in that, in that crew, he was top five in home runs, top three in WRC plus top three in slugging top five in war Um, defensively. It was all over the place in terms of the metrics. That's been uh, long discussed, but Riley was awesome last season. And even with some projected uh, let's say leveling off by the systems, he's still, the Braves are still number 10 in baseball in the Fangraphs projections at third base. Riley's still in the top 10 by Zips and the top 12 by Steamer. So people, I know Braves fans will be higher on him than those projections are, but at a minimum, he's now established himself as an above average player at third base. I, I am a little bit skeptical that he will fully repeat last season, but he could. I mean, we've seen him do it now, so it's certainly on the table. And this is a guy who'll be 25 years old in April. He should be writing, he should basically be entering his prime right now. So uh, you can't really argue with what he did last year. I've, I know I've been always a little bit lower on him than some, but even I would acknowledge he was awesome last year and he changed, he changed my mind a lot. Like now I'm at the point where I'm not worried at all about him anymore, which is not like a hot take. But a year ago, I was very worried about him being the only guy at third base. I am no longer worried. Well, yeah, and he did. I mean, he did put together that year last year. I mean, keep in mind he was like dreadful to start. Awful start. start yeah. Long. Yeah. Awful start. So, um, I don't think he's going to hit 300. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. Like I I, agree I, that, with you. That, that that is that's a big ask of Austin Riley. But I will say that the improvements that he made at the plate were real. 
And he's just, he's so strong that I wouldn't be surprised that he would hit like, like over 40 home runs next year. Like I could see that happening just because he has that kind of power. Oh yeah. Um, he definitely if, could if, do like, that. And I, I, I could, I could see that trade off where like he doesn't hit as well, which again could very well happen. Uh, if if Austin Riley's a perennial three hundred hitter, and yeah, Austin, and then and then Ozzy Albies is like you know like the swing for the fences guy that can't you know hit above two sixty, then it is very funny. Things have gone awry in a hurry, but um, you know I, I don't think he's going to hit three hundred every year. But I, he's really, I mean, the one thing I've I've been consistently have said about Austin is that. He is relentless about improving, and at every level that he was in the minor leagues, he continued to improve year over year. He had to make adjustments to do it, and he would make those adjustments. I think he's going to be very, very good. Uh, I would not be shocked if he was a top five uh, third baseman in baseball next year uh, as well. I do not know exactly where he would fit in that because it's, it's so hard to predict that sort of stuff, but you know, I think he's very, very good. Uh, I, I do think that also he's going to continue to improve defensively because one thing that is true, I think, is that, and a lot of this is just kind of the eyeball test, is that one thing is that now that the Braves were actually starting to shift a little bit towards like the you know the second half of last year, is that his defensive numbers improved. He was in better positions to make better plays. And once those metrics continue to improve and that positioning continues to improve and he continues just to get better and better at the position, I think that some of his defensive numbers are going to improve as well, which might offset some, you know, like he, he can't, he can't be one of the best hitters in baseball every year, but I think that maybe getting some more value defensively, uh, especially with as strong of an arm as he has just getting better at the position will offset some of that. Yeah. I, I think I'm still, lower on the defense than Braves fans that think he's that think he's Brooks Robinson at third yeah. base now. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> Just put Ozzy over there. It but I fine. do agree. I do agree with what you said. Like, I think he was better last season than some of the metrics paint him to be. The positioning stuff was helpful. And uh, once that got corrected, he his projections improved, his performance improved defensively. I think he's generally fine on defense. I do not think he's a plus on defense, which I think if you listen to Braves broadcasts or follow Braves Twitter, you would think that he was this huge plus on defense at third base. I don't believe that. Maybe he, maybe he is eventually. Maybe he is this year. I'm not saying it's impossible. I don't personally think that it's happened so far. But to your point about the batting average, which I don't really care about a whole lot, but it does matter. Like his bat was kind of out of line with his um, performance batted ball-wise last year. And the projections kind of have that regressing. They have him in like the low 270s. And honestly, if he hits 275, that's a win in my mind because the power is real. Like, he doesn't have yep. to hit 300. Um, he's been walking a decent amount, about 8% the last couple of years. That's not fantastic, but it's good enough. And if you select 500, you're a three and a half, four one player and you're a good player. I agree with you. I, you could hit 40 home runs. It wouldn't surprise me a whole lot. Batted ball wise, it's pretty good. Obviously, he hits the ball hard. Um, he still strikes out a lot and has a, like a pretty high whiff rate and a pretty high chase rate. So like play, play discipline is not going to be elite right now for Austin Riley, but the raw talent is what it is. And I think that he is good. Um, you know, you, you can sort of go like player for player, like who you rather have him then at, at the position. But at, for me, it's the list is not more than six or seven guys long that I'd rather have at their base than Riley. Yeah, year. pretty much. He's, he's, there's just not that many players. Like you'd have to really I mean, convince me of. Yeah. Like Jose Ramirez. Yeah. Bregman maybe in Houston if he's got it going I don't know what I don't know what happened with him last year. Um, Rafael Devers is pretty good. Manny Machado, uh, Arenado, Matt Chapman, and that's kind of it. Maybe uh, maybe Rendon if he's back to himself. But 
it's not that long of a list. So Riley's really good. Uh, and I think I would take the under on last year's production for him, but not by a lot. I think he's going to be a four win player again, which is uh, saying a lot because I was not always the biggest uh, flag waver of, of Austin Riley. I think he's uh, kind of proven himself to be pretty potent. So good spot there. Yeah, for the if, if, if you're looking for the, the guy that the Braves should try to extend on one of those oh, certainly. Friendly, friendly deals again, it, it would be Austin Riley. That's, that's, I, and that's I, I'm, that I'm sure they will call if they haven't already and try to get him locked into a below market deal. Um, there's that constant give and take between like who your agent is, how much the team wants to give back. He's not a free agent until 2026 in terms of the uh, ARB calendar. So they don't have to hurry in any way here. But um, if you want to get him to one of those, like not necessarily Aussie level deals, but one of those bargain kind of contracts, this would be the time to do it if you want to lock him in now. Um, but, you know, if you're Austin Riley, do you want to do that? Maybe not. I don't know what his situation is, what his mindset is. Um, but if you're the Braves, you're at least thrilled with having at a minimum four or five more years of him locked in for uh, a pretty good uh, pretty good price. And he'll be, twenty again, 25 in April. So prime is coming for Austin Riley. Um, Eric, I guess in terms of like full thoughts here, everything rides on Freddie. So I'm not going to make you like talk about like what, we're looking at here for the, for the, for the infield, but if they had Freddie, I think everyone agrees with this, but we'll just say it plainly. This is one of the best infields in baseball full stop. If Freddie is on the team, that's not even controversial. I think it's probably like one of the top two or three in the league, maybe even number one. Yep. You have the best right side of the infield in baseball and Freddie and Ozzy. It's not yes. particularly close. Agreed. Uh, Dansby is the low man on the totem pole, but yeah, again, the, the, the left average. side is what swings things. Like it, if yeah, you yeah, are, yeah, if you're in love with Austin Riley and you think Dansby's like pretty good, then you're probably number one on the Braves for the, for the full infield. If you were like, so, so on Riley and Dansby is below average for you, maybe not, but uh, yeah, the, yeah, the right side. I'm with you. <laughs> it's crazy. The, the, the strength of the team's lineup is the infield. Well, Certainly. I will go that far. And Ronnie, of um, course. Don't forget about Ronnie. Well, Come on. What are we, what are we doing? Yeah, here? I've missed. I've missed him so much, Brad. Ronnie exists. Um, yeah, he's. Uh, that's true. And catcher. I, I, and catcher I, I, is what it is. Like you got. You got to kind of factor catcher in. And I think that clearly of the infield, this is a, this is a kind of a low bar. But catcher and shortstop are your question mark areas. But even then, those spots are like league average. Not bad. If the Braves have a bad spot right now on the offense, it's obviously corner outfield. They don't really have anybody there. Um, but if you were if you were to have first base um, being Freddie, when your question marks on the infield are league average spots right now, you're in pretty good shape. <laughs> okay. uh, when, the, when those are your bad spots, quote-unquote, you're fine. It's as though uh, your team was good enough to win the World Series. See what I did there? I kind of had to fold without the without, without Ronald Acuna. So <laughs> somehow, yeah, cr- crazy. Wow. Uh, what a what a time to be alive! What a time to be alive, indeed. So, yeah, we, we can. Uh, we'll take a step back. Obviously, when when things happen and when things change in the infield with regard to first base, when the lockout lifts, we will talk about all of that. If there are any other moves, we'll talk about those. But this is sort of a good um, overview of where the Braves are right now on the infield, and uh, the short version is that they're in great shape. Eric, we have accomplished our goal for this podcast. Uh, anything else that you want to add or, uh, if not, please feel free to once again, plug yourself, plug the site, plug road to Atlanta prospect coverage. And, uh, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but baseball will be happening in the minor leagues. So, uh, my apologies on this, but you have to like, you have to work in the next couple of weeks. Cause it's, it's going to be happening pretty soon on the minor league side. I get, I get some time off. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Never <laughs> any time off. Me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, let's see what Chris has to say about that in terms of, uh, I know. <laughs> 
No, yeah, the podcast is going to be. Um, listen, we we I, I promised people a couple weeks ago the podcast will be uh, cranking back up. We've done that. Um, I, I'm just praying to the baseball gods that the lockout's not going to go till June because then I don't run out of stuff to talk about. But by the way, even if that happens, you sir will have baseball to cover. Yeah, I mean, and look on this show. Uh, I mean, Scott and I were already fighting on Twitter about the you know the Domino's pizza thing, right? So oh, that's at least Lord. an episode. So I mean, like we 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 can start generating some content. It's going to be Scott and I content where things could go off the rails in a hurry. But um, yeah, just make sure you go into the site. Uh, not only do you want the up to date news on the lockout, you know, the, Chris and the entire crew is really good about jumping on news as soon as it pops up about what's going on in the negotiations. So make sure you look at talkingchop.com for that. We're also continuing to roll out free agent target profiles. We're, we're trying to finish those up in terms of guys that could feasibly join the Braves in the, the free agent der- free agency derby that is going to happen once this lockout ends. Uh, we've covered a lot of the big names. We're kind of getting some of the smaller, more questionable uh, names in terms of like, you know, filling out those spots, but we're going to continue to roll those out. So keep an eye on the site for that. Um, beyond that, just keep, you know, if you want to continue to support the, the podcast and can, what we're doing it during what has been a, a pretty tough time content wise, uh, going through and downloading old episodes of the podcast would be great. Make sure you yes. subscribe, tell friends, uh, all that stuff is super helpful for us because again, we're the, Whatever news comes up, I guarantee will be put up on the site and there's continuing to be original content put out there as well. But, you know, it kind of is getting to the point where we're running out of things to talk about until the minor league season starts. Uh, I am, I, I've joked on, uh, on Road to Atlanta and with others that I'm a little bit concerned that Chris is going to have us take the minor league recap and split it into four different articles for each team. <laughs> but um, uh, so at the same time, like, you know, we're going to start cranking out that minor league coverage. Uh, I've already kind of got some eyes and ears on the ground in terms of what's going on in minor league spring training once that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So we'll kind of get a sense of who's looking good and who's not. But beyond that, you know, minor league season's right around the corner. Make sure you listen to the show, The Road to Atlanta, which I am the host of. Uh, generally speaking, Garrett Spain is the regular co-host, but Matt and Garav and Wayne, everyone all chips in on that one uh, to make that show work where we talk about the minor leagues each and every week. Uh, and once the season starts up, that's going to be a regular occurrence where we kind of recap the previous week and talk about whatever else is going on in minor league land. Uh, that's where you'll find our draft coverage uh, along with my semi-regular appearances here on this show. So if you want to support the, the, the site and support the podcast, the best thing you can do for right now until we actually have some really kind of substantive things to talk about is to, you know, just go back and look at some of that evergreen content on the site and downloading it, old episodes of the podcast. Both of those things help us out a whole lot. Uh, well said, Eric. Thank you for doing the, uh, the, the publicizing for me. That's usually my, uh, my way to end the show, but you just did it for me. So thank you for that. Uh, I, um, I, just, I, I, I now want your five-minute thoughts on uh, Jawan Howard and the Michigan Wolverines. You will not get them on this podcast. Um, it was all bad. No, nothing's good on Sunday in, in the basketball world. In fact, we're recording this podcast in the middle of the All-Star game, which I am watching and trying to dutifully pay attention to as someone who covers the NBA um, but I figured it was a good time to get this podcast out to people, and I appreciate your willingness. I know you were going to be dialed into the NBA All Star Game if we weren't if we weren't recording. So thank you for your oh, sacrifice. I'm, no, I'm, I'm glued to the TV, Brad. Glued, glued to it. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Eric. We'll be doing this again very soon, I'm sure. Uh, Road to Atlanta, Daily Hammer, this podcast, plenty of good stuff to come. And you said it all already, so uh, I'll, I'll just leave people with this: follow Eric on Twitter at Leprechaun. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to at BT Roland. Follow the show and the site. At Talking Chop, and we'll see you next time.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. 